Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing non-accidental injury, thinking the unthinkable. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, welcome back to Take Orally. Uh, we're tackling quite a big topic in this episode. We're going to be looking at uh, this. Is our first episode, we'll be looking at non-accidental injury. Uh, it's lucky that we've got uh, a uh, our favourite paediatrician here with us. Hello again, Colin. Dr. Hello, Colin. Jamie. Pleasure to be here, Dr. Colin Gilhooley. Uh, so uh, we're breaking this subject down, Colin. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to be thinking. We're calling it thinking the unthinkable mm-hmm. because I think the vast majority of us are very lucky. We've never had any personal experience of non-accidental injury. Uh, never had to encounter it in our day in our uh, personal lives. And I think this is probably the area of paediatrics that can be the m- one of the most challenging. And it certainly takes so. a lot to, to start to think these things because it's a very dark place you can go into, isn't it? It is. But I guess from that point of view, I think um, as a paediatrician, I'd flip it round and say um, it's always in my head. Okay, And that might seem like a dark thing, but I think the first thing to say is uh, always think about it. Always have non-accidental non-accidental injury or child maltreatment in your head when you go and see a child yeah um because it is that important and we need to make sure we don't miss it Mm. there's no doubt uh that we everyone would have seen the horror stories in the news Mm. and the things that have happened uh and so if it's not in your head you will miss it like anything jamie okay if you don't if you don't think about a potential diagnosis you're never going to make it okay so it's just like every so in the say round in adults, every chest pain is an MI Correct. until proven otherwise, or P until proven otherwise. You think every, yeah, every child, child comes before you, or a child risk? or young person has this child or young person been maltreated? Yes. And as you said, there are the horror mo- horror stories, aren't there, of multiple health visitors mm-hmm. missing things? So okay, low index of suspicion. Okie doke. So we're going to be uh, following the uh, nice guidance uh, CG89. Uh, which was last updated in October last year uh, and sort of drawing on some of your own experiences as well Colin mm-hmm. I think people listening to this as I said are not hopefully not going to have had personal experience of it and it's one of those diagnoses that can be challenging to start thinking about so as a senior paediatrician you're thinking about this all the time um, what are the red flags then what what are we actually we've got a young person in front of us what are the red flags? What's going to start us thinking potentially about NAI? Um, so I think um, it varies from different age groups, and it depends on the. So we talk about non-accidental injury, but you know, child abuse comes in various different forms. Yeah. yeah? Whether it be physical, emotional, neglect, sexual abuse, there are all different types. Okay, and the one we think about, the one people normally go to, is the physical abuse. Yeah. Um, so it's probably easiest to, to start at that one, Jamie, and think about what are the, the obvious red flags there. And the first one uh, is the child who's non-ambulant, i.e. the child who can't move, can't walk, can't crawl. We generally put these to the under ones and say, uh, a child with a bruise who's less than one, um, you need to consider and make sure you have an excellent history about what happened. Okay, A non-ambulant child with a bruise, can't crawl, can't walk, needs a referral to social care okay and then for the case to be taken from there all right that's a a very simple one non-ambulant child with bruising is referred to social care okay even if the history 
is decent. Even if the history is decent. Okay. So okay. under one, bruise, social services referral. Yeah. Okay. And this is where um, birthmarks, etc., become very important to start recording, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, because they can start to appear. They, they do look like bruises, don't they? They can do. So uh, <coughs> children can be born with blue spots. Yep. Most commonly across their lower back and buttocks, but can be in various locations. Uh, and they should have been documented uh, when they had their newborn check yeah. uh, in their red book. So worth having a look at cool. to see if they're there because that can help guide you. Cool. So non-ambulant child uh, with a bruise uh, is a referral. What else? What other things are you thinking about as of as of uh, red flag? Um, so spiral fractures of the femur in the non-ambulant child um, are a referral to social care. Okay. These are incredibly uncommon injuries. Again, the history might be good, um, and that might help but it's worth getting this looked into and fully assessed, mm. okay? So what, what forces do you have to put onto a leg to create a spiral femoral fracture? Is that a twisting? It's, yeah, it's normally a twisting force um, and it would be, it's an un a very unusual injury in this age group. Okay, um, and because um, I think you, you get some parents who, oh, I was dressing them in a hurry or something and they were kicking and I've twisted yeah. the arm or whatever. Yeah. There is some suggestion that in terms of spiral fractures of the humerus where the arm gets twisted, sometimes children get it caught underneath them and those kind of things. But again, um, you need to worry that a, a broken bone in a non-ambulant child probably mm. needs to be looked into fully and properly cool. um, prior to uh, that child being allowed home. Okay, okay. so um, in these circumstances, mm. I think it's important that we fully investigate. Yeah. Okay, and then and then and then take a decision from there sure okay, okay. so multi-agency involvement is important okay are there any um, other injuries in a non-ambulant child that, that sets the alarm bells going uh subconjunctival hemorrhages okay okay so subconjunctival hemorrhage is something that can occur at birth again should be documented in the red book sure but occurring after that period um need need further investigation so we're thinking head injury head injury need. being shaken Okay. okay, so shaking baby. Yeah. Okie doke. Um, and um, I suppose there's other things about like potential burns, cigarette yeah, so burns, etc. etc. Yeah, so again, um, burns well demarcated, deep uh, glove and stocking distributions of burns, um, third degree burns. You know, children are very simple creatures. If they can get their hands off of the hot surface, they'll take it off. If they can get their body off the hot surface, they'll take it off, okay? Mm. Uh, burns in the non-ambulant child, same as a broken bone, same as a bruise. How did uh, they get their hand there in the first place? Correct. Yeah. Um, and then other ones where they're deep, where the child clearly hasn't removed their hand sure. from the heat source. Sure. Uh, and gloving stocking distribution is being held under hot water. Yeah. So I, I remember seeing that as a, as a medical student. Yeah. Um, the, the story was, they've put their hand on a on a hot stove yeah. um, and it was a um, glove demarcation up to about halfway up the humerus and you think well if you put your hand on a hot stove that would just be your palm wouldn't no. it and you, like you said ow that hurts it's a simple reflex whereas this was this was more in keeping with being held into into boiling water uh, which is ultimately what had happened I think you raise a good point there Jamie about history and consistency with it and how important the history is Okay, so taking a history of a burn, a bruise, a fall, a trip, whatever it might be, mm. isn't about saying he fell off a chair and that being the end of the history. Mm. Your history needs to be good enough 
that you can imagine yourself being in the room, mm. knowing who else was there, mm. and thinking about exactly how it happened. If you yeah. haven't got all the information that allows you to clearly imagine exactly what happened, you haven't got the, all the information yet, and you need to seek more. Okay. Um, so collateral history, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so we've got our non-ambulatory sort of injuries. We're thinking burns as well. Any other red flag injuries as well? It's kind of about how long's a piece of string, maybe. But there are a lot more. Um, it's difficult um, to think of them all uh, mm. as we go through. Um, we've talked about some bruises, burns and bones uh, in terms of physical abuse. Uh, we talk about heads being shaken. Um, there is obviously um, significant neglect that you might see. So if a child hurts themselves in a way where they clearly weren't supervised, especially if they do something incredibly dangerous, left alone, those kind of things, that would obviously be. And then there's child sexual abuse. So if that's raised at all, that is something that obviously needs to be taken seriously. Sure. Uh, and Child sexual abuse is one occasion where you do not have to disclose your social care referral mm. to the parents. Okay. okay. So, I suppose then, so we've looked at the injuries and I suppose we're thinking then, can I imagine this child doing that? Yeah. And obviously if this is a child who, you know, how could they have cut themselves or whatever, you yeah. know, et cetera, and they blah, okay. Um, so shall we start then thinking maybe about the child who's starting to talk more, yeah. you know, um, and starting to show personality? Yeah. So what sort of things are you looking for in the child's manner, in their personality, how they are around you as a clinician that yeah. might make you think something's up here? Yeah, so I think um, as the child gets older, they have more of a personality and they're able to converse. Uh, considering um, ha whether they do or whether they're incredibly quiet and withdrawn. Yep. Okay, so being very quiet and withdrawn is a worrying feature. It's important to differentiate that from being shy. Yeah, which okay. can happen with doctors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also their relationship with uh, their parent or carer. So sure. um, they should, you know, have quite a warm and friendly relationship with them. Yeah. Uh, if they are feeling shy or scared, they should go to that parent or carer for support and reassurance. Yeah. So if they don't do that, and actually they shy away from that person, that's a, it's an unusual situation sure. to be in and sure. worth considering yeah. uh, whether there could be uh, some uh, evidence or some problems with that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, further to that, asking whether they can give you a history of what happened. Yeah. Um, it's important to try and get the history from the child if you can, okay? Not the parent, guardian, carer. Yeah. yeah. And if the child's giving the history but the parent is very overbearing and not willing to let the child, it's important to make sure that you do try and get it from the child and make okay. sure that, um, that you, you take as much history from them mm. as mm. possible mm. Okay, to ensure that um, it helps you to know, it helps you to reassure you. If the, parent, mm. if the child gives you the history and tells you this is exactly what happened, mm. then it's unusual um, mm. for children, especially very young ones, to, to be able to to lie coherently and well too. Yeah, why would they lie? Exactly. exactly. Okay. Um, do you ever ask the adult grown up out the room? Um, yeah, sometimes. I know you try and keep the parent with them for comfort, etc. Exactly. etc. Et but um, do you ever like say, do you mind stepping out so I can speak to yeah. X? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, easy to do as the children get older. Make mm. sure you've got someone with you. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, for your you. own protection. Yep. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's very useful to do, mm. okay? Mm. Helps you to understand. Okay. And how do you 
broach that subject with a parent because I imagine most parents are like, no, I don't want to be out on, out of the sight of my loved one. You know, how do yeah, you start so to I say, it, you know, do you mind stepping out? So I think it's important of you feel confident doing it and yeah. knowing that it's part of your practice and what you do. Yeah. Okay, um, because once it once it is and you know why you're doing it and you come across mm. that way, then mm. parents are, are more willing and more able to understand but saying to them sure. this is part of what I do when I'm sure. taking good history just to make sure, sure that I've got all the information and sometimes uh, it can help to engage the child sure. and help us with yeah. their experience cool and, and I suppose with neglect as well as other things you, you you're thinking a little bit I suppose like we do with well with all patients uh, um, but I also think when you're seeing patients um, from a psychiatric point of view, how are they dressed? What's their hair like? What's their personal mm -hmm. hygiene like? Yeah. Does their do clothing they, fit? Does their clothing fit? Do they look like they've had a wash? Do they look like, yeah. you know? And I, and I think also, are there other siblings with them and how do they look? Yeah. And so you can take that whole impression from that, can't you? And I think that's the key thing, Jamie. You know, it's not one piece of information that you're looking for here, but actually building them all up together. Uh, to build a picture. Cool. Um, and so, um, thinking then about um, sexual abuse. Yeah. So, um, what's what sort of things you bring that to to mind? What sort of presenting complaints? What sort of findings make you think that this this so this child or young person might have been sexually abused? First thing is that something's been. Disclosed. Sure. So they've said something. They've said something. Yep. Okay, in which case take it seriously. Yep. Uh, and you need to make sure that it's it's investigated fully. Uh, and then obviously there's bruising and lacerations mm -hmm. uh, around the, or in the genitals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so we will see some straddle injuries. Okay. So where children, uh, where girls um, fall uh, and injure themselves. Um, that can happen, can happen to boys as well. Uh, again, history, history from the child, incredibly important. Yeah. Okay. Um, and build up the picture that we've talked about by taking a full history, mm. good examination, mm. looking at the child and the family as a whole. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, and then outside that, there's uh, obviously um, if there's situations where perhaps um, they've been left with unidentified people, yeah. uh, been neglected, um, again, normally you're looking for something to be disclosed. And the importance yeah. of this is that there are specific specialist paediatricians yeah. who are designed to deal with this, okay. uh, who can be involved. Okay. And so at what point would you go, I'm, I've kind of reached my so limit, I, think I need get, to get some other people in? So I think if there's a clear, if you, if you have a high index of vision, so it's a clear suspicion, there's no other good history for the injuries or it's yeah. been disclosed, yeah. then you need to speak to social care and social care sure. needs to speak to the specialist paediatricians involved with child sexual abuse sure. to get them to come and see the child. And I suppose kind of thinking about it logically, if you've got a child or young person with a sexually transmitted disease yes. or suspicions of that, or indeed pregnancy, yes. that brings this to mind as well, doesn't Correct. it? Correct. Absolutely, Jamie, absolutely. Um, and then um, thinking as well, what about, I mean obviously we don't want to be judgmental, but what about the family dynamics? What sort of questions are you going to be asking if you're suspicious of any sort of maltreatment? What sort of 
things are we going to be asking about? You've already mentioned were they with an un unidentified person yeah. for a time and period, so we're guessing that sort of thing, who has contact with the, yeah. with the patient, etc. So I think from that point of view, the first thing <coughs> to say is that anybody, anybody uh, could abuse a child. Yep. Okay, so there is not a particular group of people yeah. or a particular person who does it. So all that's why we come back to all suspected. Secondly, uh, consider what might make the child high risk. So children who are born prematurely or have neuro disabilities are more at risk of being abused. That's sad. It really is, but it, it's true. Okay. All socioeconomic classes can abuse children, okay? So don't just get caught up on that, okay? Yeah. Chaotic households um, need to be considered. Yeah. Um, having multiple children who are all very young makes the environment much more stressful. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Uh, and so it's important to consider all of these things. Yeah. Um, I ask every single patient I see, regardless of whether I'm suspecting it or not, whether the child is known to social care or social service. Oh, sorry, I ask whether the family is known to social care or social services. Sure. Um, Do you ask the, the, the family that? Correct. I ask all of them, okay? So you uh, just come out with it? Are you, know, are you so known to social services? Past medical history, allergies, immunisations up to date, are you known to social care or social services in any way? I ask this of everybody. Correct. There's no... Um, cool. Just because I think it's important for us to know. And yeah. other than that, it's important for us to share information between yeah. services. So if they've been there, even if we think it's a completely legitimate attendance, I will ask the parents if it's okay if I tell social care that they've been here. Because that way they know and everyone's up front, everyone knows exactly what's happening. Cool. Okay. Um, but then you'll say that to social, I don't think this is anything okay. suspicious, but I'm letting you know. Yeah. But you don't have to tell them, disclose to the family if you're thinking sexual. Abuse. Sexual and fictitious illness are the only two. Okay. Okay. So if you think it's an induced or fictitious illness mm. or sexual abuse, the worry with those is that it, in, it actually escalates mm. the abuse that's happening. Okay. Okay. So they're the only two reasons. Okay. Other than that, sure. practice is that you tell the family. Sure. Okay. You do not. Let's make this clear. You do not need their consent. But I'm you just do telling tell you. Them. That's okay. fine. And um, so, as fictitious illnesses, you're thinking that there's something else going on, and the child is trying to get a, a ticket of to see somebody like the child or the family. Or the family is. Oh, Munchausen's. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we don't by proxy. Fictitious illness. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, they are, it's rare, but yeah. it's out there. Cool. Um, and so, yeah. um, again, yeah. that's often a very difficult one sure. to, to get to the bottom of. Sure. And normally it's one that takes some time. So, cool. I suppose you, and then you, you're getting that 360 picture of the child. So, mm -hmm. who takes them to school? Who picks them up from school? Yeah. Who is with them during this time? Who's yeah. doing with them this time? And I suppose you look, you know, is there a new element to the family, a new partner, a new, you yeah. know, a new babysitter, all of that kind of stuff, aren't you getting so that full picture? I think having that history really is everything and being very yeah. clear mm. about, one, the incident and exactly what happened, yeah. two, who looks after the child, yeah. three, other factors around the child and yeah. the family that might increase their risk. Sure. Um, but it really is, if you take a very good history, sure. it will, like anything in medicine, Jamie, uh, it will give you most of the answers. <laughs> William Osler would be very proud of you. It's all about the history. <laughs> mm. uh, and then I think just before we wrap up, I think that, um, because obviously children are, are open to, to so many other services as well, ch um, school attendance. 
Yeah, so school, school attendance nurse. and yeah, the school nurse. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you've got a school nurse and school is incredibly important. And this is where um, it's important to understand that when you see them in the emergency department, you are one piece of a jigsaw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and actually, someone else might have multiple pieces to put put together to change change mm. what uh, what the risk or what the influence sure. is. Sure. And knowing that um, or sharing that information with them can help them and help sure. social care. Sure. And then just thinking, I suppose, again, as some other presentations, I think if, if you've got a young person coming in intoxicated, mm -hmm. either through alcohol or some yeah. other substance, that's straight away a red flag, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. So we do see them. We refer them all to social care. Uh, the key thing is that as teenagers come in, they do experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might just be that they've had too much to drink. Yeah. Uh, or is this uh, part of a wider yeah. uh, issue that's going on? Yeah. And is actually a call to help, a cry for help. And again, by speaking to social services, they might have a lot more information. Yeah. It certainly changes the dynamic. There's, there's a difference, isn't there, I suppose, between the young person who's just had one too many vodkas at a party yeah. versus the young person who's been left home alone and has opened up the whiskey cabinet and has Correct. had a go. Or, yeah. Yeah. And the one who's, who's now been found drunk for the fourth time. Absolutely. So, so yeah, it's all in, in taking it into yeah. the, the, the overall picture, isn't there? Um, finally, then, just I suppose, what about... Um, because we, around, around in adults, you, you may get parents who've taken an overdose or something with a child in the house yeah. what happens then um, so safety is paramount for us <coughs> Jamie so you do first thing is you ensure that the child's safe mm. other children also need to know their location so say mum turns up with her baby but where are the other two children that sure that she's responsible for so you mm. need to know the location of them all okay mm. um, and then um, you need to find a place of safety for that child, mm. okay? And that uh, involves liaising with social care, mm. okay? okay? So social care need to be involved, need to come and see and make sure that that child has somewhere safe mm. to go mm. um, uh, while mum gets the help and support she needs. Cool. And um, what about, um, do, you, do you ever, if you've got a, a, a child, young person coming in, with a condition and say there's multiple DNAs for clinics yeah. uh, that, that's flagged up on our system. Yeah. Do, you, do you raise that subject even if it's something else? Do you still raise it? Oh, I notice you've not attended yeah, your last so I think five that's really important. clinics. And I think that uh, we're increasingly aware of the, um, of the need to raise that as a social care issue. Unfortunately, there have been cases throughout the country uh, where children have come to significant harm um, because of a medical condition yeah. which hasn't been well managed and when you look back you see that they haven't been attending their appointments okay yeah. so uh, asthma is a perfect example of this yeah so that's what I was thinking about yeah yeah okay um, so it now needs to be taken seriously we need to be very clear uh, with ourselves and we need to need to be clear about the risks um, so I think we need to be explicit. So yeah. the risk of having asthma and having an exacerbation of asthma is that you die yes. if it's poorly managed and if you have multiple things, okay? It's, it's where- It's not that you're a bit short of breath, it's yeah. that actual death happens. It's yes. rare, okay, yeah. but every year people die of asthma. And yeah. we all say, oh, that shouldn't happen. 
but it does. Okay. Yeah. So therefore, that child is therefore at significant risk if mm. he's not having his asthma well managed, if mm. prescriptions aren't being picked up from the GP. Mm. And again, this is where you can paint a picture together. So yes, those children need to be referred to social care, okay? And it needs to be a discussion with them. The GP needs to be involved as part of that. Are they getting repeat prescriptions? Um, if not, that child has asthma but is not uh, being managed at all. Okay, fantastic. Um, any good resources or anything you can think and yeah, society and post so people having listened to this? Because we, so we, we could go on forever and ever about this and I think we, we've glossed over the, yeah. the most common things. But can we signpost our listeners to anywhere that's of useful? Of course, yeah, absolutely. So the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health uh, has a whole section on uh, safeguarding. Uh, and within that, if you want to know about anything in particular, say bites or bruises or breaks, uh, sexual abuse, anything at all, uh, they have all the um, systematic reviews and all the evidence uh, which is kept up to date, mm. um, which shows you what areas, what types of bites, how big a bite needs to be for it to be an adult versus a child. Yeah. Uh, Burns as well is on there, tells you about uh, what features increase your risk and make it more likely to be non-accidental than accidental. Remember, they are just more likely, it's not black and white, but taken with a good history and have the evidence applied can help to go a long way to making the right decision. It's obviously been something that's very debatable. Different countries have take, taken different uh, approaches towards how uh, the physical chastisement of a child when he's deemed to have been bad or naughty, uh, or she. Um, or she yeah. um, but I think we'd all agree that um, biting your child is such that you leave marks or yeah. biting your child at all is excessive force. Yeah. Okay. And leaving bruising on your child is probably excessive is excessive force as well. Okay. So um, yes. That's where I think we stand on that. That's where we draw the line. Thank you very much, Colin. So Thank you. Um, we've we've thought about thinking the unthinkable yeah. and in our next episode we're gonna talk about saying the unsayable. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was the Take Orally Non-Accidental Injury Thinking the Unthinkable podcast. Uh, you can find the blog entry and take visually for this podcast at www.takeorally.com. Um, as ever, you can find Take Orally on both Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on both SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.